One has a face for radio and the other has a voice for print. Today, P.F. and Parker from the Blue State Conservative talk Governor Gretchen Whitmer's nursing home scandal, Bill Gates' influence on COVID's eternal presence, and President Biden and Vice President Harris both give empty speeches. Welcome to Deducing for Deplorables. Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of Deducing for Deplorables. I am Parker Beauregard, joined as always by P.F. Whaling. Hello, P.F. And, you know, we got a lot of great feedback from our our updated format here. I think there's some good flow going on and happy to hear the feedback from guests. But you have a specific comment you want to share from the mailbag this morning. Yeah, Parker, we do. Uh, this morning from Jeffrey, we have, uh, regarding your article from earlier this week on the COVID-19 vaccines, he wrote, quote, I read your article on COVID-19 and your statement of beliefs. Very good. This might not be important, but I noticed on your map with BSC across it that B, that North Carolina is blue. Donald Trump won North Carolina in the 2020 presidential contest. Please change it to red. Thought you would like that. So thanks, Jeffrey, first of all, for the feedback. We always uh, we always like hearing from the listeners and from the readers. Um, so a couple things. So first of all, good news and bad news. Uh, I guess the good news is, first of all, you pay better attention to detail than I do. <laughs> I should have uh, should have caught that. Uh, obviously, yeah, North Carolina that was a nail biter there. Towards uh, kind of went went late into the night or into the following morning um, uh, before we knew for sure that North Carolina had gone for Trump. So the good news is is that you're indeed you're right. North Car- Carolina is a red state, not a blue state. Bad news is that as you point out, our logo is wrong. So um, Parker, <laughs> Parker, you and I we spent. Uh, we spent a while putting together the logo. We had had a previous logo on there earlier. Uh, didn't really care for it. We gave it a lot of thought. And as much as I love the logo, now that we know it's wrong, not sure what to do. But in the, in the meantime, we're going to acknowledge right here and apologies to all of our listeners and readers from North Carolina. We understand you're a red state, not a blue state. Please don't take it personal. And look on the bright side. Parker and I are both in blue states, real blue states. So, uh, again, our apologies to the listeners. Parker? One thing I noticed on his writing, it was very concise and punctuated. It was almost Hemingway-esque in his concision of thought. So lots of declarative statements, not a lot of ands or buts or howevers. You know, it was just very boom, boom, booms. I think we had another mailbag where it was entirely a run-on sentence and a lot of, you know, I hate you and this and that. But uh, Jeffrey took it a different direction and he was very clear in his thinking and very punctuated. So different strokes for different folks out there in terms of their communication skills. All right, PF, let's get into the headlines today. We got some big things to dive into here, some growing developments. I'm going to go to the Daily Wire and let's take a look at this headline here. This is from March 8th. So we're going back a couple days, but this is certainly going to be a continuing story. It says that the prosecutor indicates criminal charges possible against Gretchen Whitmer over nursing home. Speculation about this for some time. I know when the Cuomo story was breaking and then that sex scandal broke on top of that, there was a lot of speculation that the sex scandal was going to attempt to replace the larger and more important story of how Andrew Cuomo sent an extra couple thousands of people to their deaths and uh, lied to the Trump administration about exactly what was happening. So the cover-up is the scandal. Um, And over at Breitbart, we shared the story, too, that the, the thought was that this scandal was going to cover up the, not only the Cuomo scandal, but a lot of Democrats had instituted very similar policies with the concern that those similar policies might have faced similar cover-ups. And so now we have news coming out of Daily Wire from a couple of days ago. I've got an article from The Federalist 
dated March 11th here, and here's their headline, not just Cuomo. These other Democrat governors also jammed COVID-stricken patients into nursing homes. Um, so it's the exact same storyline here. Everything we know about Cuomo is coming to light now that this happened across the nation, and it was across the nation in predominantly Democrat states. And here's a twist here. I don't know if this is going to get the same sort of light here, but the Federalist also has an article about the real COVID nursing home scandal um, about why they did it. And so I'm just going to read a paragraph from that article. So I'm jumping from headline to headline that's related here, but now I want to dive into meat, the meat of this article here. It says, the real scandal is what lay behind the high nursing home deaths in New York and a handful of other states led by leftist governors such as Michigan's Gretchen Whitmer, Minnesota's Tim Walls, and Pennsylvania's Tom Wolf. It is the story of how grandpa and grandma got tossed aside for money. And so here we are going back to early April. We had information coming out that COVID patients would pay a hospital $13,000 via Medicare. If a patient was put on ventilators, they would get paid $39,000. This was information that, you know, you and I talked about Dr. Scott Jensen out of Minnesota. He revealed this information way back when. So this is nearly a year now of these cushy cash payments going to hospitals if they admitted uh, COVID patients. But then the real scandal, of course, is the money. The other scandal is the cover-up. I want to go to, of all places, a YouTube comment. Um, there's some savvy people on there. If you go to the right YouTube channels, people have a lot to say that's, I can't verify any of this, but this is interesting here. So it says not only did Whitmer order nursing homes to take in COVID patients, she ordered them to take in young COVID patients. And then when the legislature of Michigan realized what was happening, they passed a bill to force her to stop and she vetoed it. So there's something too, right? She knows what she's doing. They're doing their thing. The Michigan legislature steps in and she says, nope, I'm going to keep killing these old people. Um, and then even the Supreme Court got involved and it didn't happen as well. So I don't know the exact timeline. I suppose we could verify that. We could have verified that beforehand, but just interesting take. There's a lot of voices out there. And like you said, Daily Wire, Federalist, YouTube comments that are all kind of saying the same thing now. There's a lot of information that people know. Uh, now we need to get it into the mainstream narrative though. So interesting to see where this takes off, but absolutely that she ordered people into the nursing home. I'm not so sure that's a scandal. I think even the Trump administration, there's been, there were reports that that was kind of the policy as well. So that's not the scandal that they did it necessarily. It's the scandal that as that was happening, what happened to deaths, what happened to the elderly, and then how was that being covered up? So the cover-up's the real scandal, but as the Federalist points out, there's a lot of money getting followed as well that's a tertiary or a secondary scandal, I suppose you could say too. The first thing, obviously, that jumps out with your comments um, is the potential for the motivation. I mean, if that's I mean, that's pretty explosive, right? If, if the motivator was money um, and and that was their sole driver, if they can prove that, we got a we got a bona fide scandal like one that's going to put people behind bars, you would think. So, but barring that, the, the other thing that just comes to mind is the profile of uh, of Gretchen Whitmer. She was towards the beginning a lot like Andrew Cuomo, where she was held up as you know this is leadership this is the anti-trump she was obviously in her rhetoric she was very opposed to trump uh said a lot of explosive uh, explosive things against the president um so that's the first thing that comes to mind the, the profile that she had and let's not forget there were a lot of people that speculated she might be chosen as joe biden's running mate uh, when biden came out and said that it was going to be a woman of color kind of took her off the list but prior to that everybody uh, uh, expected Biden to choose a woman. And Whitmer was one of the prospects that people were considering. So that's how high level and how much visibility she had, how much credibility she had. So as it turns out, we have another blue state governor, uh, leftist governor, who shows that the more authoritarian those governors were, 
the worse their results were and the more they covered up their incompetence. So really, really troubling stuff. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch that. I mean, there's so much going on right now with Cuomo, uh, but I think we can do two things at once, right? So we'll keep an eye on Whitmer as well. And who knows, maybe some other governors come out as well, comes out that they did uh, some imp improper stuff. So we'll have to see. All right, Parker, very good. So my, my headline today, this comes from CNN, uh, although this was uh, this was covered by quite a few different outlets. Uh, but the headline is, here's why experts say the U.S. may be fooled by improving COVID-19 numbers and what that means for the summer. <clears throat> so you can tell by the headline that the, the crux of the story is that we're not out of this. We're still in trouble. Don't uh, don't let your guard up. You got to keep wearing masks, even if you get the vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. And we're seeing this a lot. And I have three thoughts on it. So my first thought is that this shows that the left, which CNN is the left, right? They're like their most vocal and most reliable mouthpiece for the for the left. In fact, you could argue they're essentially a um, just a communication wing of the Democratic Party. Um, the left is fully invested in this pandemic continuing. You know, we're, we're seeing now we're up to almost two million vaccines a day that are being uh, that are being given out to folks. Um, the numbers of uh, new infections every day is going down. We're now at the lowest uh, lowest level of infections, new infections since the beginning of the pandemic last spring. But they can't let it go. Okay, so they they need this. Uh, they need this pandemic to continue. This is where the, a lot of their powers come from. We saw it this week with the with the COVID relief uh, package with the bill. So that's the first thought that comes to mind. The second thought is their primary source of information. So let me just kind of throw it out to you, Parker. Where, where do you think so that they have some data in here and the data that they show um, in the article from CNN shows that the, the number of deaths is actually going to be more than they predicted? Uh, it was it was predicting, I think, 560 million by uh, this July. Uh, I'm sorry, 560,000 by this July. And this uh, this source, this data source uh, says it's actually going to be closer to 600,000. Who do you think the source is? Just take a guess, Parker. Well, my first thought, you made that mistake about 560 million. Honestly, the way the numbers have been rolled out and all the <laughs> shenanigans with testing counts, I think I would have believed you if you'd said 560 million. And I think the American public. I'm. I have zero hope for their critical thinking skills. I think they would have believed that too, regardless of the fact that we have significantly less people living here. But um, to your question about where the numbers came from, oh boy, I don't want to say like the CDC and the Biden administration if it's all the way at the top giving us those lies, but where is it? So yeah, that, you, would, you would think that's where you would go to, right? Because the CDC does have these numbers, but those numbers don't, the, the, the CDC numbers actually support what we were just talking about. With this, this pandemic is waning. We're on the downside of it. It, it. We're almost at the point where we can declare it's over. I mean, it's pro we're probably only a few weeks away. We'll see. So they can't go to the CDC. So where do they go? They went to uh, an outfit called the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation, IHME. And who is it run by? Wait for it. Bill and Melissa Gates. <laughs> so you have Bill and Melissa. Yeah. So you have Bill, Bill and Melissa Gates uh, with their outfit saying, oh, no, no, it's not over. It's going to get worse. So it, it's it's obvious to me that they're they're fully vested in power uh, in, in, in this covid uh, pandemic, continuing that narrative so they can keep their power. It's really pretty disgusting stuff, if you ask me, because, you know, what we should be talking about is all of us getting back to normal schools, open up, et cetera, et cetera. But they're so fully invested in this pandemic. And then my third thought is this is. So with this pandemic, obviously, it's clear that it, it's been a power grab for the most part. I mean, I, 
it's certainly not a hoax that, I mean, over half a million people dead. It's been awful, the pandemic. But <clears throat> their use of it, the left's use of it uh, to, to gain and seize power is is as big of a story as the pandemic itself. And my my last thought on this, my third thought is, what's next, right? So we saw this happen with a seizing of power or an attempted seize of power with uh, climate change, right? We, you know, with AOC, with her, with her Green New Deal and, you know, trying to spend $93 million, uh, trillion dollars, I'm sorry, $93 trillion on, on the Green New Deal using that uh, faux crisis, right? That the climate change, not, not that there's not some legitimacy to climate change because there is, but just trying to use that as a political tool. Now they did the same thing with COVID. So what's going to be next? What is the next crisis they're going to try to exploit? So I don't know what it is, but I think we can be sure that there's going to be one. We just got to see what it is. Yeah, there's always a crisis to exploit. That's how the left, that's their oxygen. They need hysteria, they need fear, they need panic, they need a crisis. Uh, my big concern, the, the big one that they're going towards is climate change. I think that's right around the corner. We see states passing all sorts of laws about no more gas guzzling vehicles, no more gas vehicles, period. Uh, Green New Deal, and as Democrats have majorities, we're watching them push through a lot of legislation. So certainly on that path, and Boy, you caught me off guard. I should have known better with Gates being in charge. Really, I wanted to say it was CNN's own, CNN's own projections because they're such medical experts in the field of journalism. Uh, journalists know everything. They know everything about policy and medicine. Uh, so Bill Gates is not that far off. But that gives me one more reason, right? They always say he's a puppet of the elitist, the global elitist. Like, how, how many strings does he control or who controls his strings? But it's really scary to think that someone like Gates has that much influence, power, money, uh, and how that money is used to influence kind of downstream as well. So that's some scary stuff. But I'm just going to leave you with my one thought on this comment here. I Every time I hear about COVID and the variants and how contagious it all is, I got my own question for you as far as some numbers go, PF. How many people have had COVID off the top of your head? Um, so how many people have been infected? I would say... How many pos- let me reframe that question. How many positive cases do we have reported as of today? I'm going to say 8 million. Okay. What's the population of the United States? 335 million, I think. Okay. So here, I'm off Worldometer. Again, this is this is the only information we really have available to us. Right now, they're estimating about 30 million positive cases. Here's the problem I have with the math. Yeah, I estimated about 350 million in the U.S. I, we don't know how many uh, undocumented illegal people we have in here. So I just rounded up to 350 so that punching on the calculator was easy. That amounts to, if we're going off the 30 million positive cases registered by Worldometer, 350 million in the U.S. by some census estimates and projections for moving forward, that amounts to 8% of the U.S. population or people living in the U.S. that have had positive cases. Far be it from me to understand medicine any more than Bill Gates, but when I think of a super contagious, a super scary, a super deadly pandemic, I don't envision just 8% of a population being infected over the first year. Um, especially when that the first early months in that first year, that's when everyone that is most susceptible to a disease would get it. And I don't want to hear about how masking and social distancing and lockdown prevented that because that hasn't been the case. For the last year, they've told us we're not doing enough, we're not doing our job, and we didn't have vaccines, and Trump didn't do anything. So by that narrative, if Trump didn't do anything, we should have just seen cases explode. Listen, I'm a numbers guy. I can't get behind this, the narrative that this is something we should all be worried about. We need to ruin our lives, ruin the economy, never get back to normal when just 8% of the population's had it. And then even of that, just a small, small percentage of people have died from it. And then that's a separate conversation about dying with it or from it. You know, 
so that's where I'm at. That's when I see these headlines, you're absolutely right. It's about maintaining power. The American people, I think, are largely getting over this or they're easing their concerns. And that's going to kind of feed into my my audio clip that I have for us today about I think Americans are largely if they want a vaccine, they're getting it or they're just going to go on with their lives. But here's CNN trying to maintain that grip um, or certainly the people that control CNN want to keep that grip of power on us until they can manufacture the next crisis. Can you hear me now? But I need you, the American people. I need you. I need every American to do their part. That's not hyperbole. I need you. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity. And to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point. If we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. All right, PF, there's a lot wrong with that. And I'm going to play a second follow-up clip to his speech if I can if I can sneak two audio clips in our one audio segment that we allotted ourselves. Uh, that's worrisome to me because he's talking about these social obligations that we have to get vaccinated. You and I just got done talking about the numbers of COVID. Um, I shared my personal thoughts about really the how contagious it is given the numbers that we've seen. Um, I have a really difficult time listening to the president of the United States telling me that I have a social obligation to get vaccinated by, and I've, I covered this in my article, there were nine reasons why I don't plan on getting the vaccine right now. And the comments that were left in that article beneath that of the bluestateconservative.com added some additional reasons that I wish I would have included. So really my count's probably up to 12 or 13 by now. I think I have a lot of fair reasons for not wanting to get the vaccine at this point. Uh, but when the government tells me that I have to do my part, I have to do this one thing um, against my will, perhaps, um, certainly the argument about my body, my choices returning, that was often the phrase for abortion. Suddenly, my body apparently is not my own anymore. It belongs to societies writ large. That's just concerning for me. I value my independence. I value my individuality. And Joe Biden is suggesting that that is no longer mine. I am no longer autonomous. I am part of a larger system. And to the extent that we have our so social obligations, I'm going to drive on the right side of the road. I'm going to obey speed limits. I'm not going to go break and enter into a, a store, another person's homes. That is one thing. Um, it's entirely a different thing now where we speak of the realm of vaccines. Um, it's scary that he's suggesting that because it scares me what else they could coerce people to do in the name of sacrificing liberty for the greater good. Um, there's, of course, enough at the top of my head, I don't know verbatim, but the Benjamin Franklin quote, if you sacrifice your liberty for safety, you end up with neither. This is a, a giant move towards safetyism. We're all afraid of COVID. We need to get vac vaccinated, uh, but at what cost? And so it always comes back to that piece right there. But let me play my, oh, I'll let you respond, and then I'm going to put my second clip up for you, 2PF. Well, yeah, let me just say that. Um... So first of all, regarding the vaccines themselves, you know, you and I actually spoke about this a few weeks ago. I, I am going to get the vaccine um, just for for different reasons. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, number one, just different situations. But your article earlier this week about your nine reasons for not getting it, every one of them is valid. Um, again, I might disagree with some of them, but they're, they're certainly reasonable points. And without a doubt, you, you have the right not to get it not to get the vaccine, obviously, it shouldn't even be a discussion. 
Um, but then I, I think more importantly is, you know, on one side of his mouth, he's urging us to get the vaccines. But on the other side, he's saying, you know, you can get back to normal by uh, Independence Day, right? By the 4th of July. Well, why? You know, all the data, all the science is showing that once someone is vac- uh, vaccinated within uh, three to four weeks, the chances of them transmitting the disease or getting infected, you know, goes down exponentially. So the, the, the facts are that the, the science shows that once you're vaccinated, we should be able to get back to that person should be able to get back to normal within a few days. And he's talking months. So he, it, it's on one side of his mouth, he's urging us to get it. On the other side, he's giving you a reason not to. Yeah, absolutely, PF. And so as he's mumbling through the teleprompter here, I just want to follow up with this clip as well. This is also what gives me pause. So I'll explain after we listen to this as well. So our message to you is this. Listen to Dr. Fauci, one of the most distinguished and trusted voices in the world. He's assured us the vaccines are safe. They underwent rigorous scientific review. I know they're safe. President Harris, Harris and I know they're safe. That's why we got the vaccine publicly in front of cameras. So for the world to see, so you could see us do it. All right, PF, that argument right there, add it to the list of why I'm not getting the vaccine. And you just commented, too, about there are compelling reasons to that. And I see that and I I believe I address that in my article as well. And certainly I want to communicate there are good reasons to want to get a vaccine. Uh, And there are a lot of reasons to, as we've seen people get it and largely be okay. I mean, overwhelmingly be okay. Um, Certainly the safety of the vaccine can be discussed as well and in a critical and honest way. And I understand that piece right there. But when the logic is. Joe Biden coming out telling us that Anthony Fauci says they're safe and we should trust him. I am not sure what Fauci's gotten right at all during this pandemic. And as soon as someone speaks so forcefully in that way, messaging that he's trustworthy, he's the most dignified medical expert that we have on this subject here, that's not true. It's blatantly not true. And I've covered six separate articles where he's flip-flopped, I believe, masks and lockdowns and his understanding of the vaccine in general are just a couple of ways that he's gotten this completely wrong from the beginning. Um, closing schools is another one. I'm not sure why anyone believes Dr. Fauci. And honestly, other than the fact that he's some global elite as well, um, with connections high up, I don't know why he has a job. Can you imagine if anyone else, you're in your profession, I'm in my profession, if I made one of the scores of mistakes that Fauci's made, I'd be out of a job. Like, who would listen to you at that point? Um, no, I don't trust Fauci. I don't trust his intentions. I don't trust that he's following the science anymore. So that's part one. That was a lot for just one sentence from Biden, but that's just part one. When he's trying to convince me that we know that they're safe, Joe Biden knows the vaccine is safe. I I can't believe it, PF. I can't get on board with that because even the CDC only granted an emergency use authorization. Even the CDC hasn't approved of this thing because they don't have the data. It could very well come out that the data is going to support what we think early on about this is a safe vaccine. Here's why. Here's what the, the studies show. People got it. They're good. That's all well and fine, and we can have a conversation when that day comes and we can look at the data, but right now we don't know. Any honest person, any person committed to truth and science, all they can say right now is we don't know, but here's what we think, and I think that's a fine, honest position to take. But Joe Biden, for him to come on the teleprompter and tell me that he knows it's safe and that I should listen to Dr. Fauci, uh, to use his words from the vice presidential debate in 2012, that's utter malarkey. Um, Biden has made the word malarkey famous. I appreciate him for that because it's a great word. But um, in this case, his it's utter utter mal- malarkey here um, with regard to vaccines. So what's your thought on the second statement here? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think you bring up good points. You know, the um, and again, you and I are actually looking at it from different uh, different viewpoints, right? Because I'm getting it, you're not. Um, but I, I agree with everything you just said. I mean, Fauci's got no credibility on this, and, and obviously neither does Biden. Um, I, I mean, ultimately, uh, I, I don't think there's ever been a disease or a pandemic that's been more widely covered than COVID. Um, in fact, I, I would argue, for at least for myself, I've I've done more research personally and read more articles about COVID than I have probably all other diseases or uh, maladies combined. You know, I mean, that's how much that we've looked into this. And that would include, you know, what I've looked into regarding the uh, the vaccines themselves. So I, I think clearly <clears throat> there are some concerns with the vaccines. For me, it's, it's a matter of risk assessment, right? So, um, you know, what what are the risks with the vaccine? What are the uh, risks with getting infected with COVID? And then balance the two and find out what the right decision uh, is to make. Um, and what, what I come down to is, while I don't know the long-term effects of the uh, of the vaccines, I also don't know the long-term effects of COVID or, and how it might affect me. So I'm going to make that risk assessment. But the idea that there's no risks with the vaccine, no one can say that with absolute certainty, including the manufacturers, right? Because I mean, we're still relatively early. Um, the, the, the the pandemic itself hasn't even been a year, right? Or I guess it's just, you know, we just celebrated the one year anniversary. So there's still a long way to go before we know the long-term impact, but all, all good points, Parker. Well done. The president promised help is on the way. And today, help has arrived. Help has arrived for the workers who lost their jobs. Help has arrived for the students who've been stuck at home. Help has arrived for the families that have struggled to put food on their table and for the small businesses that have struggled to keep their doors open. Help has arrived, America. This landmark legislation will get relief to families, get support to communities, and make sure more shots get in arms. So that was Vice President Harris, obviously, talking about the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill that was signed by President Biden on Thursday. And Parker, I just think it's um, the absurdity. The level of absurdity is, absurdity is just incredible here with this notion. You, you can tell by her comments, help is on the way. Uh, Biden's rhetoric during his uh, his address to the nation on Thursday night and then in this Rose Garden ceremony on Friday, uh, the whole the whole Democratic leadership is really they're really taking a bow here. Um, but her points, right, she, she calls out four specific points, which it's just remarkable to me. So she, she brings up lost jobs, students at home, you know, staying at home when they want to be back at school, the inability for some folks to put food on the table and then the impact on small businesses. Well, what drove all of this impact, this negative impact? They were the lockdowns that the Democrats and the left pushed that largely didn't work, right? So, you know, the, the, the states with the most draconian lockdowns had some of the highest deaths per million of any states in the country. So she's talking about fixing a problem that her party and her ideology created. And it, it's just absurd to me. And the this victory lap that they're trying to take here, you know, where, you know, this is what we did. And look how, look how much <clears throat> look how much good we've already done with COVID. So at the time uh, uh, on Thursday night, as of Thursday, that was Biden's 50th day. So he was talking about the fact that we're up to two million vaccinations a day. Well, that was that was the trend graph anyway. 
right? So if we were if we were to look at a trend graph of what's happened with the number of vaccines being administered, it's really much more along the lines of a supply and demand graph. It's a straight line. It's been increasing, but that's what you expect with a trend as you're ramping stuff up, right? Regardless of what it is. So it's not like this this uh, bell curve where it's this exponential growth. It's nothing like that. So it's just been, uh, it, in other words, the trend that we've seen with COVID vaccines, it was going to happen anyway, regardless of who was in the White House. And I just got to say that just the whole notion that that Biden, after 50 days, is trying to take a bow here. To, to me, it's a lot like <clears throat> it's a lot like, you know, if if uh, I'll, I'll pick a band, U2. All right. So if the U2 is having a concert and they played a three hour concert and they're out there, they're playing their songs. The crowd's going wild. While they come out, they do an encore. Crowd goes wild. They come out, they do their second encore, they do a song. And then for the last song, they bring out Joe Biden with a tambourine. He starts banging it on his butt. And then the concert's over. He he dismisses you too. They go off the stage and there's Joe taking all the bows and standing in the limelight. That's basically what it is. The the folks that deserve the most credit, I'm, I'm thinking here for um, for this waning pandemic uh, and, and the fact that it's going down, I would give probably the most amount of credit to Big Pharma with the um, with the vaccines that they develop. I think it's a modern miracle. The fact that in less than a year, actually within what, about six or seven months, they were able to develop and produce mass amounts of these highly effective vaccines. So I would give them the, the, the most amount of credit. I would also give some credit, not necessarily to President Trump, but to Operation Warp Speed. In fact, uh, Army General Gus Perna was uh, headed that up. Gus did a terrific job with that. Um, and then to some extent, you, you know, you have to give at least some level of credit to the governors at the states. But to think that the Biden administration really deserves any real credit for what's happening with COVID is absurd to me. Well, it's especially absurd when you think about Biden's own statement. Remember, he campaigned on doing something about coronavirus because the narrative was Trump didn't do anything. Um, how long ago was it that he threw his hands up and said, you know, we just have to get through this. We have to wait. There's nothing we can do. So there's that approach. Um, but then also, I didn't pull this up. There was just too much to cover in his speech. It was horrendous. But he made a comment previous to what we had listened to in those sound bites that when I came into office, only 8% of Americans had been vaccinated. Now we're up at like 30% or whatever the number is. But to your point, like, you didn't do that, Biden. His complaint was that there wasn't enough supply when he entered office. Of course there wasn't. They hadn't manufactured it yet. They had just gotten to the point where they it was working. They were testing it. They were getting it out. Of course, there's going to be a slow rollout. I don't know why anyone thinks that's momentous to say when I started, it was 8%, and today it's 30% of Americans getting vaccinated, and we have more supply than ever before. That's how this stuff works. You just don't wave a wand and it appears. So these people are clueless. Um, to your clip on Harris here speaking and to your comments about how they created all the problems that they're now taking credit for solving, um, I'm kind of coming at the same thing from two different sides. At the end of the day, it's kind of the same mindset, but you have the people in government that think it's their job to take care of all of us, and you have the people that vote for people in that role that want to be taken care of. And I don't know how to get past that. That's a huge philosophical, ideological divide in this country where you and I are coming at this saying, get out of my way. I'm going to make the best decision for me. If I want to get the vaccine or not, I will decide that based on the evidence I can gather. If I want to go into a store or stay home or wear a mask or not wear a mask, I'll make that decision as an individual. Unfortunately, we're seeing more and more people acquiesce that thought process and that critical thinking and it, really that autonomy over themselves in their daily lives to people like Harris and Biden and also in that video with Schumer and Pelosi that really get their jollies off of dictating everything that we do. 
Um, and there's some sickness there as well that they think they know better than us and that it's their job. They actually feel like, you know, they go to bed at night thinking, I did some good work today, um, controlling everyone's lives and ruining people's lives and squashing freedoms. They don't see it that way. And so it, it's scary. And I think back to an earlier question we had, I think, is was it Fred that gave us the question? You know, we never offer solutions. I honestly don't know a solution to that. You can educate. You and I can talk about this. We can write about things at the Blue State Conservative. Uh, but that's kind of a scary, scary trend here. And I don't see it going away. I see it getting worse because you've got young people in indoctrination camps, K through 12 and higher ed, uh, that continue to get exposed to this. And, and it's going to get worse. You're absolutely right. It's going to get worse. And that's what the $1,400 checks are. So those people who are already believing that, Parker, and you're right, that government is the answer. Government is their babysitter. Government, you know, they want to uh, feed off the government teat. These $1,400 checks that are coming out, that's exactly what they're for. Thank you. Thank you. All right, PF, let's finish up here. We've had a lot to talk about today, so let's go to another huge issue here. This is the China crackdown in Hong Kong, which is not getting nearly enough attention and not nearly enough outrage. Um, we don't have time to go into the hypocrisy of people that say America is awful while they make billions of dollars off the Chinese market. But Get a sense of this headline. This is from the New York Times, written by David, I think it's Leonhard. I, I don't know and I don't care. This guy is a major buffoon. He writes a piece every day. I subscribe so you don't have to, to the New York Times Morning Edition, uh, just to see what they're saying over there. This guy's headline says, our colleague Vivian Wang helps you make sense of China's crackdown on Hong Kong. All he has to say is, China's doing horrible things. I, I can make sense of the crackdown. It is silencing oppression. It is silencing dissent. It is silencing freedom. It is silencing freedom of everything that we take for granted. Um, and I say with a caveat, thank goodness for America today, because this is where we're headed. Thank goodness for America for now that uh, people can go out and support President Trump at a speech. But who knows, after that insurrection took place that they called it on January 6th, what does that look like when Trump tries to hold a rally again with people present, right? Are they going to say that's not okay because of safety concerns? Um, so I see that mirroring a lot here. But take a look at some of the language that they use to describe the crackdown. It says... Officials in Beijing hated that foreign politicians like those in the U.S. were so vocal in support of protesters. Are you kidding? Everyone in the world should be supporting the protesters. I don't know how anyone is supportive of China or even trying to explain away China's actions. This whole cozying up to China is super scary. It's just I can't even wrap my head around why you would look at a situation this way. Certainly no mention of Uyghur Muslims. Um, this is the same person that's going to say that white supremacy is the greatest problem in America right now. Meanwhile, if you are in Hong Kong and value individual liberties and you value the right to protest or the right to assemble or the right to speak, you're getting either disappeared, arrested, jailed, what have you, silenced in general. Uh, and apparently David Leonhardt has no problem with any of that. He was more concerned that President Trump was vocal in support of the protesters at some point. Um, I would go to the other end and say he wasn't nearly vocal enough. I, I wish we would have stepped in and said this is... This is us saving democracy right now elsewhere because we can see how precious it is and we can see how we're losing it. But um, I'm going to stop there. It's a longer article. It's not worth getting into entirely, but just an interesting major headline from The New York Times in support, essentially, of the Chinese Communist Party. And, and this is why this is why cultural issues matter, because what's cultural now and what seems insignificant, whether it's Dr. Seuss or whether it's Mr. Potato Head or Pepe Le Pew, right, all, all this stuff, which seems insignificant, the more power you give to power hungry people, to authoritarians that want to control you, the more emboldened they will be. And before you know it, this is what they're looking to do. They're, they're, they're not just seizing 
your right to watch Pepe Le Pew and Speedy Gonzalez on a Saturday morning. They're looking to seize your absolute civil rights and put you in internment camps like they're doing with the Uyghurs in China. It's, you know, pe people might hear that and say, well, you know, you're, you're making a huge jump there and you're connecting dots. I am connecting dots because that, that I think that is exactly the, the potential slippery slope we're on if we don't stand up for our civil liber liberties. That's going to wrap things up for today. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, you made it this far in the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show. And you can always check out more commentary and analysis in written form over at thebluestateconservative.com. Catch you next time.